This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Kevin. I'm married to Maria, who apparently named our children, uh, which is very exciting for her. That was helpful to know. It was a big moment for her and the kids um, when they were born. So really happy for you, Maria. Um, Hey, I just want to uh, get something out of the way because many of you have been coming up uh, with this conversation. It's very serious. So I just want to uh, beat you to it so you don't have to rub it in anymore. Congratulations to the 49ers for beating my bears. I'm happy for you. Yeah, everyone's really... Yay. Uh, Yeah, uh, it was a Christmas miracle for you. So really happy. Uh, I still, though, hold to the fact that the bears are God's team. Uh, because Jesus says that I came for the least and the lost and the last. And the Bears are the last place team in the NFL, I'm pretty sure. So that's okay. That's okay. It is a rebuilding decade for my team. Happy for you. Don't bring it up again. I won't be so kind if you do. So, um, hey, do you realize that Christmas Eve is two weeks from today? Yeah. That, I, okay, I'm guessing by that mixed reaction that there are at least a handful of us who have not started shopping. Go ahead and confess. Have you, if you haven't started shopping yet, yeah, that's okay. Amazon Prime still delivers. You've got plenty of time uh, until you freak out. So I, I'm with you. I have bought two presents for my children, but my wife's, uh, it's not looking very good for her, which means it won't look very good on the other side unless I get to shopping quickly. So uh, but you know what that means? Christmas Eve is two Sundays from today, and we're going to have Christmas Eve services, and I love Christmas Eve at New Life. Uh, Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday this year, and we decided to do something a little different and mix it up because we think it's the most strategic opportunity we have to engage with our larger community. So normally our services are during the evening on Christmas Eve. We're actually doing morning services this year on Christmas Eve at our regular times, 9.15 and 11 o'clock, because we believe that your friends and family members who don't naturally go to church have a good opportunity to come to church in the morning to check out our Christmas Eve experience and then go off and do Christmas Eve uh, afternoon dinner and that kind of thing with the rest of their family and friends. And so I want to invite you to come. This year, we're going to be talking about this idea of celebrating light and doing this interplay between light and darkness and having an experience here. But Jesus says that when he came into the world, it was like light came into the world. And so we're going to talk about the fact that if you're a Stranger Things fan like I am, that anytime the really creepy, yeah, can I get, yeah, anytime the really creepy Demogorgon, I'm not going to nerd out on Christmas Eve, but you know what I'm talking about. Anytime he comes, it gets really dark and heavy and mist. Why is that? Why is it no matter what movie you watch, the scary stuff happens when it's dark Why is it that sometimes the most alone times we feel, the heaviest moments we feel, are when life feels very dark? And and what is it about Jesus that brings light? And so we're going to be talking about that on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a wonderful time together. So I want to invite you. Make sure you come. Bring your family. Invite your friends. We, weeks ago, weeks and weeks ago, ordered postcards so that you could invite your friends to join us. And we ordered them through a printing company and they didn't show up. And so we called and we called and we called and their printer, which is unfortunate for them and for us, their printer broke at this printing company. So they haven't been able to print. 
we have not received postcards. And I'm so sorry, you guys, because I know you want to invite your friends. And I would just say, be talking up Christmas Eve, point people to our Facebook page, and we will have invitation postcards for you next week. But here's what you need to know about Christmas Eve. It fills up quickly. So you'll want to get here 15, 20, 30 minutes early for our services. We're going to add about 100 seats in the auditorium, and we're going to have a great time together. So just don't want you to miss that. Hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program. You're going to want to grab a couple things. One is this card that says start here. It's just our way to give you access to our team so we can pray for you and serve you and partner with you. So I'll go ahead and get that filled out. If you're a guest, would you extend a little bit of trust to me? I know we just met, but uh, I would love it if you would just put your name and email address on there simply so that we can partner with you in any way that would be beneficial to you. So you can go ahead and get that filled out. And our team's going to pass baskets in a minute. You can drop that card into the basket. We're also going to be receiving the offering in a minute, which is one of my favorite times as a church. And here's why. Not for the reason you're thinking. Because when you and I practice generosity, people's lives get changed. Let me just give you a snapshot of the next two weeks. In the next two weeks, we're going to house close to probably 100 people who would otherwise be living on the streets here at New Life because of your generosity. In the next two weeks, we're going to be buying Christmas presents for hundreds of families who have lost their homes with a fire because of your generosity. In the next two weeks, we're going to have almost a thousand people walk through these doors and meet Jesus in very real ways because of your generosity and my generosity. And I love the fact that God allows us to be part of this great generosity movement that not only blesses us, but impacts and blesses our community. So I say without reservation, I'm excited that we get to practice generosity now. And so if you came prepared to give, you can text to give, give online, or use the envelope inside your program. If you're a guest, please don't feel any obligation to give. We're not trying to take from you. We give generously to the things that God is doing so that we can give to you. And so I hope that you enjoy yourself today. Uh, In just a second, we're going to pass some baskets. You can drop in your offering, drop in that Start Here card. Before we do that, I'd like to pray. Uh, I know many of us maybe like no other community in the United States, can empathize with the people in Southern California who are dealing with these fires right now. Uh, We've been there just in this last couple of months. We know the uncertainty. We know the fear. We are intimately equated with N95 masks and air purifiers and not knowing what tomorrow's going to look like and watching wind patterns. And right now, many hundreds of people are experiencing the same thing. And they're experiencing it right in the holidays. And boy, I want us to be a community that prays for that community, that God would continue to protect life, that God would move to put out these fires and use first responders to do that, and that we would um, somehow be able to be a partnership with a community that we can, we can deeply feel what they're feeling. So would you join me as we pray, and then we'll pass some baskets, and you can look at the screens while the baskets are being passed. God, we know what our friends in Southern California are experiencing right now because we ourselves have walked through this in these last few months. We ask, God, that you would, that you would be working in a way that we would say is miraculous through the weather, that you would be calming winds, that you would be cooling temperatures, that you would be working through firefighters and first responders to put out these flames. We ask that you would continue to protect human life that you would continue to protect structures. And, and God, we ask that for many, many people, hundreds of people, who this Christmas, they will not be living in their homes because their homes are now gone. We ask that you would bring healing and hope and peace 
in a time that feels very hopeless and very scattered, because we know that homes are not simply a place to lay our heads, but homes are a place where we have built memories and story and And God, for many people, those memories feel like they've burned up. So we ask that you would do what you promised to do, which is comfort and care for and heal people who are experiencing a broken heart this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The baskets are being passed. You can take a look up at the screens. We are in part six of a seven-week series called Follow, where we've been experiencing the greatest invitation that Jesus has ever given. And he gives it to every single person who walks this earth. And it's the invitation to come and follow him on the journey of a lifetime. And in week one and two, we recognized that no matter what we said when we started that journey, some of us said, I'm all in, I'm going to do it 100%. Others said, I'll try No matter where we think we started, all of us has phases of following, and it is a journey more than a destination. It's partnering with God, and as we do that, God actually does something great. God takes away fear, because he promises that he'll be with us every step of the way, and we said that in week three, God's desire is that we would be fearless in this life, but at the very least, that we would fear a little bit less in this Christmas season, knowing that it's God who brought us to these points and it's God who will bring us through these points. And Jesus says that as we follow him, we get this word that's used in the Bible a lot begins to grow in us, and it's the word faith. And faith simply means trusting God enough to try. It simply means looking at something Jesus says and saying, okay, Jesus, I have just enough respect for you that I'm going to try that thing even though I don't think it's going to work out. So as we follow God, God grows our faith, and we trust, and we try, and as we try, we experience God's faithfulness. And then in week five, we talked about the fact that sometimes our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and God's hopes, God's dreams, God's desires for us clash. And Jesus says there's nothing wrong with having hopes and dreams and desires But there come moments when what we want for us and what God wants for us don't line up. And those moments are pivotal for a Jesus follower. Those are the moments when we decide, how much do I really trust you right now? And what we do in those moments goes a long way in determining the direction of our following of Jesus. And then last week, Pastor Ron got up and he killed it. Minus one comment that he made about my Chicago Bears. Other than that, I was listening. He killed it. 
he talked about the fact that Jesus followers have certain things that we wear. We talked through this guy named Paul who says that Jesus followers should clothe ourselves in certain characteristics like hope and peace and joy and love. And that as we follow God, these things begin to be the way that we live and we put them on every day. And today what I want to do is I want to zoom back out. We've got two more weeks in this series. I want to zoom back out and I want to ask this question. If Jesus invites us to follow him, then there's something about him that's worth following. And if Jesus invites us to follow him, then there's something about his leadership that we can learn. So I want to talk today about what it is about Jesus' leadership, because Jesus was a great leader. If Jesus wasn't a great leader, there's no way we'd be talking about him 2,000 years after he walked on this earth. Now, I want to give you some good news. If you're a guest with us today, man, I'm so glad that you're here. We created this church for you to be a safe place to come and experience faith and to, to test this stuff out. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you can come into this place today and you can pick and choose what you believe or think or want to follow. And Jesus says, that's just fine. But for those of us who are Jesus followers, if we want to lead like Jesus, there's a certain non-negotiable to our leadership that Jesus tells us is the secret to being a great leader. And when I say leader, let me just define it, because some of us right now are thinking, why am I here? I'm not a leader. I will say to you, you're a leader. Because the way I define leadership is leadership is influence. And every one of us has influence in someone else's life. Some of us, our position puts us in places of influence. For others of us, our personality lends itself to a lot of influence. But everyone has influence. If you have kids, you are influencing them. If you have housemates, just by the nature of rubbing up against them, you're influencing them. If you're married, you have influence. If you are a leader in an organization, you absolutely have influence. And Jesus says, if you want to move your leadership beyond Sunday morning into the world and really make a difference— there's one thing that's a game changer for you. And I want to talk to leaders for a second, because right now you're thinking, Jesus is a leader? I don't know. Let me put it in leadership language for you. In three years, Jesus created a global brand. Jesus has thousands of franchises all over the world. Jesus has millions of followers across socio uh, economic lines and racial lines. Jesus built his brand without ever racking up a single frequent flyer mile. That's a good leader. So what is it about his leadership that made him so influential? Because I would argue that whether you're a Jesus follower or not, Jesus is the most influential leader who has ever walked the earth. So what we get to do today is we get to be flies on the wall to a conversation that Jesus had with 12 of his closest followers called his disciples, where he talks about the secret to great leadership. And it's going to be in your notes. It's going to be on the screens. It's in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to pick it up where Jesus says this. And he gives a little backstory that I talked about two weeks ago to what's about to happen to him. So it says, as Jesus and his disciples, his followers were on their way up to Jerusalem, Jesus was leading them. And the disciples were astonished with Jesus, while those who followed were afraid. So to set the scene, there's the 12 disciples, and then there's a whole another group of followers, and they're terrified because they know something big is about to happen to Jesus, but they don't know for sure what it is or how it's going to impact them. And Jesus took his 12 aside, and he told them 
what was going to happen to him. He says, we're going to Jerusalem and the son of man, which is a title that Jesus took on himself for the person that is uniquely God. The son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and they will hand him to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles is just a big way of saying everyone who wasn't Jewish. So Jewish people said, we're the Jews and everyone else is the Gentiles, the not Jewish people, and hand them over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit at him and flog him and they will kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do whatever we ask. So Jesus is in this moment, having this very tender, deep moment with his closest followers. He is opening himself up, showing his heart. He's saying, you guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'm going to be unfairly accused. I'm going to be beaten. Ultimately, I'm going to die. These guys walk up and they say, hey, can we have whatever we want from you? Now, you've had one of these moments before if you have kids. It's that moment where you get really personal and soft and you're down with your son and you're looking at him and you say, son, I just want to tell you a little bit about what it means for me to be your dad or your mom and I love you so much. And you have this really deep, tender moment. Then you say to your son, is there anything that you want to say to me? He looks up at you and he says, you've got a lot of hair in your nose. (laughs) Seriously. This is the type of moment that Jesus is having. He has opened himself up to what will be the reason he came and the most painful time in his life. And in response, two of his 12 followers say, hey, um, would you do something for us? So Jesus is trying to calm the situation down. He says, I can't tell you what's going to happen. But he says, well, what do you want? And James and John came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do, he said. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left in your glory. And right and left were positions of power or leadership or influence. Basically, they're saying to Jesus, hey, Jesus, after all that like mocking and spitting and scourging stuff is done, after you die, all that stuff is done, like that's, that's too bad. But once that's done, Hey, could we be in charge of the whole enterprise? Like, we know you're in charge. Like, we get that, okay? But could we be your VPs? Could we sit at your right and left? Could we be the bosses of this whole thing? And Jesus is somewhat stunned. Now, right in the middle of it, the rest of the group hears the story. And they're indignant with Jesus. Notice with with the guys, notice what happens. It says the 10 heard about this and they became indignant, so, so angry with James and John. And they're not angry about the insensitivity of the moment. This was an incredibly insensitive moment. Jesus basically just said to them, guys, I've got a death sentence. It'd be like a friend walking up to you and saying, I just got diagnosed with incurable cancer. I've got six weeks to live. And you turning to your friend and saying, that's a bummer. Hey, when you die, could I have your TV? The big one, you know, the one in the game room. You're like, yeah, I'm sorry you're going to die. That is sad. That's tough. But hey, could I have your pool table? This is what James and John are doing. 
And the other 10 are indignant, not because they're being so insensitive. They're indignant because they weren't early adapters, because they weren't the ones who got there first. They're sitting there thinking, how come we didn't ask Jesus? We've all been waiting to figure out who's going to be in charge when he's gone. And these guys stole the show. And Peter's killing himself because Peter, one of the followers, always was the first to talk, always was the first to the punch. Right or wrong, Peter was first. And Peter's thinking, why didn't I just ask him? And Jesus looks at him. He says, guys, come here. We've gone over this and over this and over this. But let's talk about it one more time. And then Jesus gives the secret sauce to great leadership. It says he called them together in verse 42. And he said, you know those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, remember over everyone else, the way the rest of the world sees leadership. Those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. The phrases lord it over them and exercise authority are two Greek terms that basically mean the same thing. It means when I'm in positions of authority, you're here to serve me. That everyone else is here for my benefit. He says, you know how how the rest of the world works? The rest of the world works like this. When you're the big you in the org chart— Everyone else is there to serve you. So when you get to the top, when you're the woman, when you're the man, when you're the one, that when you walk into a room, everybody gets quiet. When you're the one that moves to the top of the York chart and all of a sudden your jokes become a lot more funny. When you're in charge, you know how the rest of the world does it? The rest of the world says that when you're the big you, everyone else is there for you. At which point the disciples are saying, yeah, yeah, we like that. When you're the big you, when, when you walk in and your desires become everyone else's emergency, when you walk into a room and your bad day becomes a bad day for everybody, when you're in the room and when ain't mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, when you're the one who says, if I'm working late, we're all working late. He says, you know how the rest of the world views leadership? They say when you're the big you, then everyone else is there for you. And Jesus looks at his followers and says, now do you want to be in charge? And they said, yes! That's exactly what we want. You're right and you're left. We want, when we walk into a room, everybody to go quiet. When I want some water, everybody goes and jumps. Jesus says, you want to be in charge? That's good. Nothing wrong with ambition. Nothing wrong with wanting to be in charge. There is nothing wrong with wanting to be the big you on the org chart. But you're not going to do it like that. Here's Jesus' exact words in Mark 10, 43. He says, not so among you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great, you want to be great? They said, yeah, we want to be great. Good, here's how you do it. You must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of everyone. Those two phrases, servant and slave, actually both mean the same thing. They mean the person who chooses to put themselves below other people. You want to be on the top of the org chart, Jesus says? That's great. Here's how you do it. You put yourself below 
everybody else. Here's why. And you know this and I know this. If you think that I'm only out for me, then you're going to be out for you. If you think I sit up here on stage and I'm teaching and communicating for me, then I guarantee you're sitting there with your walls up trying to protect you. If you lead an organization and everyone below you thinks that you're in it for you, then everyone below you is going to be in it for themselves. Jesus says the only way to combat that is to let everyone know when you're the big you that you're in it for them. And how? By serving. Jesus says, you know when when you've got power or authority, the best thing you can do with that authority is leverage it for those under your authority. That's his model of leadership. Anytime we find ourselves in positions of authority, we leverage our authority for those under our authority. Let me talk to you if you're married for a second. In every marriage, there's an imbalance of power. One person's just got a little more personal power, strength to themselves than the other. And it goes across gender lines. You you know, if you're the one who gets to pick the kids' names, you know you've got the power. I'm in so much trouble because I don't got no power. In every marriage, there's an imbalance of power. If you don't think there's an imbalance of power, you're the one with the power. The question becomes, what do you do with that power? Do you leverage it for you? Or do you leverage it for your spouse who has a little bit less? When we have kids, our kids come into our family without power. We have all the power. And I can tell you for a fact, if our kids think that we're only in it for us, then they're going to be protecting themselves. And eventually, the older they get, the more their walls will come up until they can't wait to get out of the house because they know that we don't have their best interest in mind. If you want to lead great in your family, it's leveraging whatever power you have, whatever authority you have for the sake of those under your authority. Because we all know that if, you, if everyone around you thinks that you're only in it for you, then everyone around you is going to be in it for them. But the minute those around us think that we're in it for them, it frees them to be in it for others. And it's the secret to Jesus' leadership, which should have us asking the question, how do I create that kind of a culture? And I want to give you a question to help you do that. And I'll tell you, the brilliant thing about Jesus is his simplicity. You could be five years old, you could be 95 years old, and you can do this today. If you want to create that kind of culture, here's the question that you need to ask. What can I do to help? I know what you're thinking right now. That's so good. I know it's simple. I get it that it's easy, but it's missed. Think about how your family would change if you walked up to your husband every day and said, what can I do to help? If you got home every day at the end of your day and you said to your wife, 
what can I do to help? Think about how relationships with our children would change if every day we simply asked a kid, what can I do to help? How can I leverage me for the sake of you? How can I take my intellect, my strength, my power, my position for the sake of you? If you lead an organization, imagine what would happen if you asked an employee, what can I do to help you today? I went into Chick-fil-A in Rohnert Park a couple weeks ago. It was Thanksgiving week, and I know the owner up there, he's a part of our church, and they were slammed. It was so fun to see great organizations that are just totally busy. They were slammed. And I looked on the assembly line, and who did I see? The owner of the organization working the assembly line. You know what he was saying to the people he worked, who worked for him? I'm here for you. He could sit in his office and say, get it done. Make it faster. Make it happen. But he looked at them and he said, what can I do to help today? And he got out there and he rolled up his sleeves and he made a delicious spicy chicken sandwich. (laughs) So good. Some of us are thinking, that sounds great on Sunday. It doesn't work on Monday. I can't do it. You're thinking, I've got too many employees to ask them, what can I do to help? I've got too many kids to ask them, what can I do to help? Hopefully you're saying you don't have too many wives. That's a different conversation. But if I ask my wife, what can I do to help? She's, she's going to have too many things. I know you're thinking that right now. But can I remind us that Jesus had three years that he walked this earth. He didn't have Uber, he didn't have a car, he didn't have airplanes, and yet he chose to lead this way. I was with a pastor who I would love to say is a friend, but he's more of like a pastor hero of mine. His name is Andy Stanley. He lives in Atlanta. He pastors a number of churches called North Point. They're a huge community, like 30,000 people in their churches, multiple campuses, and he is one of the best leaders, Christian or not Christian, that I've ever heard. And I was out there for a conference, and uh, I got to a Monday morning meeting, and Andy, I heard, was not going to be with us for the conference that day. He was heading in to have some meetings with high-power people doing their thing. And I pulled in, and I cut this guy off on accident. Oops. It was Andy. Um, So I accidentally cut this guy off, and I pull in, not realizing who it is, and then he goes and parks, and I'm parking the car, and I'm turning the key off, and my executive pastor, Angela, and I are both there, and I look out the passenger window, and Andy Stanley is standing at my car. And I freak out. So I get out of the car. I said, hi, my name is Kevin. Nice to meet you, man. You've just, you've been so instrumental in my life and my community and my faith. And I'm doing this whole thing, right? And he's like, oh, that's great. Well, it's nice to meet you too, Kevin. Glad you're here, you know? And then he said to me, where are you going this morning? I said, I don't know, somewhere because their building is huge. Conference room 308. Oh, well, do you know where that is? Not really. No, I'm going to go in and kind of wander around. Well, let me tell you, Andy says. You go this direction, you make a left, you make a right, you'll be at that room. You know what he was doing? He was saying to me, what can I do to help? It's brilliant. And it's simple. And it took him 30 seconds. He's the big you in his organization. I'm nobody to him. But he did it. So Andy Stanley gives this great leadership principle. 
And he says this. He says, you can't do everything for everyone, but everyone can do something for someone. So the leadership principle is this. He says, do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. You can't ask every employee, what can I do to help every day? But you could ask one employee, what can I do to help you? You can't ask everyone's wife, what can I do to help today? In fact, you shouldn't. It will get you in trouble. (laughs) But you could ask your wife, what can I do to help? And it's not going to be fair. I talked to a school teacher after this talk earlier this morning. He said, Kevin, I've got 30 students in my class. If I offer myself to one or two students, that leaves out 28. That doesn't seem fair. I said, it's not fair. But Jesus never promised fair. Think about Jesus. He had hundreds of people following him. He chose 12 to invest in. That's not fair. Of those 12, he chose three and made them like his close, close friends and invested even more in them. Not fair. Of those three, he picked one. Really, really not fair. But what was he doing? He knew he could not do everything for everyone in his short time on earth, but he knew he could invest in these guys and these guys would invest in more people and it would go out from there. So you can't do everything for everyone, but everyone can do something for someone. This is the good news of Jesus, by the way. The good news of Jesus is that God was up in heaven. He looked down on this earth and, on this earth and saw that we were being destroyed by a soul sickness called sin that was shriveling us up. And God looked down and he asked and he answered the question, what can I do to help And then Jesus came. And here's what Jesus says about himself at the end of that. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was God in a bod. He was God in the flesh. He was the big you on the universal org chart. No one was bigger than Jesus. If anyone had a right to say, you're in it for me, it was him. But Jesus said, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve and to give my life away for you. What was Jesus saying? How can I leverage me for the sake of the people that I love so much? And why do we trust Jesus? Because we can see that Jesus wasn't in it for himself. He was actually here for us. So let me give you a question to ponder this week. How might, and you can pick, how might your marriage, how might your work, how might your family or your friendships begin to change if you asked this simple question, what can I do to help every single day? And you don't have to ask everyone. No one can. But everyone can ask someone. So don't ask everybody's husband. But this week, ask your husband. What can I do to help? How can I leverage me for the sake of you? You can't ask all your employees. What if this week you just asked one? You can't ask all your kids. Just pick your favorite. Just making sure you're still with me. (laughs) What if you asked one kid every day, 
What's one thing I can do to help you? How can I leverage my strength, my intellect, my leadership, the fact that I have a driver's license? How can I leverage me for the sake of you today? If we do it, it'll be a game changer. Eventually, it'll change your marriage. Because he'll know, or she'll know, that you're not in the marriage for you, you're in the marriage for them. And they will, over time, begin to be in the marriage for you right back. It'll be a game changer for your kids. The more they know that we're here to serve and love and partner with them, as they grow up and they don't have to do it anymore, the more they'll want to. It'll be a game changer in your organization. Pick one person on the org chart every day that sits below you. Say, how can I leverage me for you today? If you want to move up in your organization, can I just tell you, if you ask someone above you on the org chart every day, what can I do to help, you will skyrocket in that organization. And by God's grace and with his goodness, it won't just change your family. It won't just change our workplaces. This type of leadership will continue to shape and change our community and shape and change the way that people view Jesus and Christianity and the church throughout Sonoma County because we're leading better. Would you join me as we pray? Jesus, there is a question under the question for us. Or maybe it's a fear that if we ask the question, everyone will have an answer. And they might take advantage of us. And we might get overworked. And that's a little terrifying. And yet the the risk is worth the reward. So Jesus, would you show us how to lead like you lead, how to leverage ourselves for the sake of those whom we influence. And would you, would you grow this leadership, this influence in our families, in our workplaces, in our community, so that the world around us would see that we lead great and they would ask about you, our great leader. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week, you guys, I'm wrapping up this series. And I'm going to give us a question that you owe it to yourself to ask. And it could be the biggest question you ever ask yourself. Because at some point in our following journey, every single one of us is going to be tempted to unfollow Jesus. Maybe you already have been and you're just coming into church after 10 or 15 years because something happened and you unfollowed him 20 years ago and now you're back. Maybe you're right on the verge of considering unfollowing him. But every one of us at some point in our life will have a change in circumstance or a tragedy or a question that we don't have an answer to and it will cause us to seriously consider unfollowing Jesus. And there's one question that you owe it to yourself to ask before you unfollow. Because the decision to unfollow will shape not just your life, the lives of your family and friends, but it will shape generations to come. 
And so when you're tempted to unfollow, and we all are, you owe it to yourself to ask this one question. You got to come back next week because I'm going to tell you what that question is. God bless you guys. I'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.